Hi, and welcome to Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving, a podcast series by Tharaka Foundation focused on youth mental health. Before we begin today's episode, I just wanted to let you all know that all content that is found in our podcast is created for informational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or therapy. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition, and never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard in this podcast. Thank you so much, and without further ado, let's get started. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of our series on biculturalism from Mindful, Beautiful and Thriving. It is Poonam here with a special guest, Shivani Dayal. And today we are going to talk about how it feels to be raised by a parent who is not born in the US. Welcome Shivani. I'm looking forward to talk to you. Before I ask you a few questions, can you please introduce yourself and tell us where you are born and raised and what are you doing currently? Thank you for having me. So yes, my name is Shivani. I was born and raised in the Bay Area, California, and I studied here throughout my education and then went to college on the East Coast. Um, so spent a lot of time there. Uh, and right now I have been working for the California Department of Public Health in the COVID-19 response during this past year of the pandemic. Um, and now I am preparing to begin medical school next month at UCLA. That's awesome. Congratulations. Very happy to know that. <laughs> Thank you. So one question in my mind, so are your both parents born and raised in the U.S.? Uh, no. So my mom was uh, born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts, so the East Coast, um, and her family has been in the U.S. for many generations. Um, but my dad was born in India. He was actually born in Rome, in Italy. His father was a diplomat for the Indian government, but he was raised in India. Um, and then he moved to the States uh, when he was a late teenager, maybe like 18 or 20, I think, is when he came over. That's interesting to know. So it looks like uh, your mother loved Indian culture so much and she gave you a name which belongs to Indian name, right? So how do you like your name? I love my name. I have uh, I have always identified very strongly with Shivani. Um, I think they put a lot of thought into a name that would be meaningful, but also would not cause too many troubles for pronunciation for the American classmates and teachers. Um, and I have done well. I think Shivani was the perfect name that describes me. They did give me uh, an American middle name in case I ever wanted to go by a different name, you know, at some point in my life. But I've I've never really used that. Uh, and yeah, my mom was always had a great affinity for India and Indian culture. Even from a young age, she was actually exposed to Vedantism, Vedanta, um, through her grandmother in Boston. And so she sort of had all of these um, connections to India even before she met my dad here in California. So they uh, sort of blended very well. And she was sort of told by my dad's grandfather, his Nanaji, that she was more Indian than the Indian girls at that time. So I sort of joke that even though she's the sort of American Caucasian one, that she was probably Indian in a previous lifetime. <laughs> That's very interesting. So have you visited India? 
Yeah, I've been very fortunate in that that was something that actually um, both my mom and dad agreed was a priority in how they wanted to raise me. So ever since I was uh, three, I would say, uh, we, we've gone to India every single year. So I've gone about 23 times um, to India. It's sort of been an annual tradition. Uh, the timing of it has changed as I've gone throughout school, but the last decade or so has usually been around Christmas, New Year's. We always spend in India. Oh, wonderful. So I do believe you are one of the fortunate one who is visiting India so frequently and I'm so glad to know that. So did you see any cultural differences between these two countries, India and the US? Of course, yeah, there are definitely lots of differences, many similarities as well. I think every culture has its sort of strengths and things that uh, may be a little different if you're coming from the outside. Uh, I would say that the main things that I noticed that were sort of differences was that in America, I think there's a focus on independence and sort of even in parenting style, sort of the focus of parenting is often to get your kid to be self-sufficient and independent by the time that they're, you know, 18 or in their 20s. And it's not that the parents don't love their kids, but it's that the, the purpose of parenting is to make your kid be able to stand on their own. Whereas I think in India, at least traditionally, it was a lot more, you know, that the parents um, do so much for their kids in so many different arenas of life. And the expectation is sort of that the kids stay at home for um, an extended period of time until they're maybe much more settled into their later adult life. So that was one sort of major difference probably between like me and my cousins in terms of how we were raised. Um, and I think in America, there's a, a little bit less of a focus on like where you come from in terms of family history, um, you know, sort of lineage, of whether you come from a good family and that kind of thing. I think oftentimes, uh, again, these are all generalizations, of course. But oftentimes there's a sort of sense of pride that people have if they do come from, you know, an immigrant family or a poor family and they've been able to really make something of themselves. There's sort of a lot of pride taken in that. Um, and I think in the Indian community, sometimes it matters a little bit more what your what your the rest of your family does and sort of the reputation of everybody else. Um, I know some of the first questions sometimes people ask is like, what do you, what do their parents do? And in my mind, I'm like, why does that matter what their parents do? Um, but that's sort of one of those first questions. Um, and I think India also focuses a lot on sort of honor ideas of, you know, family and sort of that family um, commitments and responsibilities to each other. There's sort of a more of a community focus. Um, so everything, everything has pros and cons and sort of the di differences and similarities can go on forever. But I would say those were sort of most of the key things that I probably noticed just growing up, going back and forth so often. Okay. Uh, do you speak any Indian language? I can um, understand uh, most conversational Hindi, but I am definitely worse speaking it. Um, I've gone through phases where I've gotten quite good, um, but it's been a while now. And yeah, I would say that my dad, I always grew up hearing the language. My dad would, was always speaking it um, at home to clients and friends and other things. But we had a lot going on when I was younger in terms of his workload and other things. So he never really spoke to me directly in Hindi. And so I think because of that, I never fully developed my uh, my language capacity, which is something that I um, sort of wish uh, had maybe gone a different way retrospectively, because I wish I was more fluent in Hindi. But that being said, I think that having at least that language ability that I do have has at least allowed me to um, connect to 
you know, whether it's extended relatives or understand what's going on in sort of basic, um, a basic Bollywood <laughs> is where, where I'm at. Um, so I've sort of absorbed a lot that I can through um, Indian media and culture. And I even took uh, two years of Hindi and Urdu in college to sort of try to improve my, my grammar. So um, that's sort of where I'm at now. <laughs> Wow, this is fantastic. You are making effort uh, to learn a new language and you know, stick to your parents' roots. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, like, was there any like certain rituals uh, your parents were doing and they wanted you to believe in? Did you go through any things like that? I was very fortunate in that my parents never forced me to do um, anything that I really didn't want to do. And they were never really big on rituals either. Um, you know, my dad came over to the U.S. when he was still quite young in his sort of formative years. He did go through a, a, a period of time when he was um, very much doing different rituals and pujas and sort of Durga puja and different things. But um, over time, he's had his own sort of spiritual journey. And both my my parents um, are sort of follow a, a spiritual practice that doesn't really emphasize a lot of the ritualistic things of sort of traditional Hinduism. So I felt like I was never really forced to do anything there. Um, but there were small things, I would say, less so on the religious side, but more small things like when we would visit aunts and uncles in India. Uh, you know, when I was young, my dad would have to remind me to, you know, say Jai Ram Jiki and touch their feet rather than I wanted to go in for a hug right away because that's how I was used to, you know, greeting my American relatives. So little things like that in terms of what you would maybe call a ritual as well um, of how you interact with elders, you know, how you speak to people where you sit, you know, I would sometimes, you know, as a teenager would sit on the sofa and want to put my feet on the sofa and my dad would have to look at me and, you know, say feet off and, you know, things like that, you know, just the way you behave and hold yourself were a little different depending on whose house you're in and what country you're in. Um, and I would say that there were some moments in the spiritual practice that there were sometimes uh, that I didn't fully understand why we were, you know, following certain lifestyle rules or sort of rituals, I guess. Um, but I was very fortunate that my my mom always wanted to make sure that I was not doing anything sort of for blind faith. She wanted to um, make sure that I understood why we were doing what we were doing. So she sort of always took the time to uh, explain sort of the rationale or the history or the importance um, of a lot of the core things that we were sort of following as a family, which I think was very valuable growing up. That's really good to hear. Um, when you were growing up, like in school or your undergrad, did you experience anything with your classmates? Um, you know, did they treat you differently because your name is different or, you know, uh, you might have different belief system? Yeah, I would say that my relationship in general with my um, sort of bicultural, biracial identity has has changed over time. So I would say um in like middle school or high school uh so i went to a very small school for both middle and high school and it was uh not very diverse it was they did have a boarding school program that had a lot of direct international students who were usually from east asia but otherwise in the sort of day student body there was not a whole lot of diversity um in my class of maybe 65 students in high school i think i was one of two indians in my grade and there was maybe one the year below us and maybe two of the year below that. So it really was not much. But I actually took that as an opportunity to 
to sort of represent India in a way. I, I, I think partially because of how my parents had raised me, I was always very quite proud of my identity and felt like, um, you know, it made me unique um, in that context. So I think they did a good job of phrasing it instead of thinking about it as like, you're different and it's a negative thing. It was more like, you're different. How lucky are you? You know, how special are you that you get something that's different that, that nobody else sort of has in that immediate environment? Um, so actually my, my parents, yeah, sort of leaned into that. And so I ended up becoming and sort of initiating a lot of holidays at the school that were not previously recognized. So it's, it was a um, Benedictine school, which means that it's part of the Catholic sort of branch. So technically a Catholic school. And I got the school to start a tradition of honoring holy every year. And we brought in somebody to talk about Diwali in the fall. Um, and I would bring in like, I brought in trays of like ladus for Diwali one year. And, you know, we would play Bollywood music for holy in the class square and stuff like that. So I think they, that was part of the sort of good strategies I think my parents had is also in terms of making it a positive thing was, you know, you get to share this whole culture with people. Um, and I'm proud to say that a lot of those traditions stayed at the school even after I graduated. So I think I always took on that role of being um, an ambassador and trying to educate people. Also because this is the Bay Area and the Bay Area is incredibly diverse. And I'm like, all of these students are going to be interacting with Indian culture in the form of you know future classmates and future coworkers, and they really should know what sort of these you know traditions and important hallmarks are so i i took that on quite happily it was of course there were some moments when you know i would be explaining um explaining some tradition whether it was the story of diwali that somebody's like what you know like what does the monkey have to do with this you know that it's a little bit awkward and you sort of just have to hold your ground a little bit um and there were mo like i was also gr i grew up vegetarian i've been completely vegetarian from birth um you know there were moments in you know middle school lunchtime when i would be eating at school and some of the boys in my class would be like uh, you know, really pushing me, like, why don't you eat meat? Why don't you eat meat? I think at one point I sort of snapped and I said, because I don't like the taste of flesh. You know, I don't like the taste of animal flesh. And they were like, ew, Shivani, don't say that, we're eating. Um, and, you know, in my mind it was like, well, that's, <laughs> yeah, what do you think you're eating? So there were things like that, that in terms of whether I had to learn to push back a little bit, you know, at what people or classmates were saying um, and sort of be firm in what I believed in. And I think that's why it was important that my my mom in particular had taken that time to explain to me why we were vegetarian as a family. And then I was able to then sort of, you know, really take ownership of that and have the courage to sort of face those classmates um, when the time came. And then I would say it changed a little bit just to continue on the saga really briefly um, when I got to college, because then in college, all of a sudden it was an incredibly diverse liberal arts school and you had students who were international students directly from India who were there. Uh, and then I actually felt like I had sort of lost part of my identity because I went from being sort of the Indian person at school or this ambassador to all of a sudden I felt like I was only half Indian and I felt like I no longer could claim this identity and I felt a 
club definitely sort of out of place. We had sort of a, um, a student club, you know, that's the South Asian student organization. And I didn't join it my first year because I sort of felt like they probably wouldn't let me in or I wasn't Indian enough. And I think that's sort of a classic identity crisis that a lot of biracial students in particular face are this idea that I felt too, I was too sort of Indian for my American group and I was too American for sort of the Indian group. So you're sort of left in this in-between space where you're not fully one or the other and, you know, you feel a little bit lost. So I definitely had that sort of when I first got to college. Uh, I sort of eventually found found my group, found people and and were able to sort of overcome that and take more ownership again over my, my identities and sort of multifacetedness of that. But I think that's a that's a common one where I felt like I was too loud and sort of, you know, whether it was outgoing for the sort of traditional Indian group. But then I also had all of these, whether it was, you know, spiritual philosophies or ideas of karma or things we did at home that also didn't fit in fully with my American friends. So I luckily I say I'm very fortunate in that I wasn't um, I wasn't explicitly bullied or or made fun of for that. But I think it's more just that broader identity issue of, you know, where do I belong? What group am I a part of? You know, who really understands me or who can understand me? Uh, and I think part of that's just also part of growing up. You know, I don't think there was anything that really like solved that uh, other than me just being patient and. Um, and having lots of, you know, supportive people around me to sort of remind me, yes, you do belong here. Um, and, you know, you do eventually find your group. And I would say by the end of graduating college by, you know, age 21, um, I definitely saw my identities as sort of an asset that I, I saw myself as a bridge, you know, someone who could be a bridge between multiple cultures, multiple ideas, multiple religions. Um, and once again, sort of saw that as a positive um, and as an asset that I could use, you know, it's an actual skill to be able to translate and, uh, you know, they sort of call it code switching. Even if, if you, even if you don't speak a different language, everybody um, who is sort of biracial often code switches between the behaviors, the mannerisms, the way that you speak in one group to another, and you sort of become that bridge between them. So luckily, I think that um, that process sort of just takes time and acceptance um, as you go through it. And now I'm happy to say I'm very happy and sort of proud of both of my sort of heritages um, and sort of see that as a, as a blessing there. Wow, what an inspiring story. Um, you know, Shivani, I will tell you, you are not alone. I, that identity crisis even happens for adults. Um, I am not born, raised here. When I came new to this country, I went through the similar emotion, you know. Um, I, I felt like I did not have that supportive group. And I was having doubts on my own self and I did not believe in myself. And that self-acceptance took a while. I am wonderful the way I am and I'm unique. It's okay to be different. Um, so I'm very inspired with your story. And I think you did, uh, with your story, you did give a good message to our audience who are listening to this podcast. Uh, but what is your message to your younger self? If you can go back, I'm sure there are teens who are listening to this podcast. What is your message to those teens maybe who are experiencing that conflict of identity or they have conflict with their parents because they don't maybe understand their parents' perspective? So anything you would like to share with those teens? Definitely. Um, I think 
I think one message, I guess, in terms of parental conflict is, I think, again, part of growing up as well. And a big, a big shift that happens is, is, and advice that I give younger people would be to recognize that parents are just human. Like there's no certificate that you get to become a parent. There's no sort of, you know, qualification time thing that happens to become a parent and that parents are human and make mistakes and make good decisions and bad decisions just like everybody else and I think realizing that sort of in some ways helps you if you did have a lot of conflict in your household sort of growing up and now you're looking back sometimes there can be resentment or there can be some anger that's there about why did you do this or that and I think recognizing like you just shared that all of all of our parents and particularly if they were immigrants themselves you know went through so much uh, went through so much transition so many identity crises themselves um, and obviously we're doing all of this to try to have their kids have a better life than they did so I think just knowing that um, that just because it's coming from a parent doesn't mean that it's necessarily the right thing to do either obviously it's usually coming from a place of love um, and so sometimes to accept the love without accepting the expectation you can accept the love and care that's there without actually having to follow or accept the whether it's ritual or guidance or whatever it is that they're trying to sort of potentially force upon you if that's your situation and also just to know that um that all of your all of your multifacetedness and identities are a huge asset. You know, that's what makes you unique and different. And it really is a valuable thing that you bring to the world. Um, you know, nobody is ever just one thing. Even if you have both parents from the same exact place, you know, you yourself have so many different aspects of your identity um, that go well beyond race or nationality or anything like that. So I think really also just seeing yourself in the broader picture of who you are as a person and what you have to offer the world um, and sort of knowing that I do think that things are hopefully getting better and that part of a part of our role in this next generation is to sort of build that acceptance as well. Um, and as you as you sort of, I think, mentioned earlier, treating other people the way that you want to be treated, too. I'm sure they're however bad we feel. There are probably other people, other classmates, other coworkers who who also feel isolated and alone. Um, and so putting in the effort to sort of build space where you can to connect with each other and to make sure that um, you know, we're not perpetuating any of these feelings of isolation um, towards others. You know, we want we want sort of to build workspaces and um, and school environments where obviously everybody feels free to come in as themselves. Uh, and then that happens when we sort of emulate that behavior um, on a day to day level, too. So I think part of it's also just on us in terms of helping to change that culture for next generations, too. Wonderful. And I would like to ask, you know, I know you, you are blessed. You had wonderful parents who really did a good job raising you. Um, but any advice for our parents who are raising their kids who are born and raised here? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I am I will qualify this by saying I'm obviously not a parent myself yet, so I have full respect for um, all parents out there. I know it's a difficult job. I guess I would say that one thing that I found very valuable was that my parents did try to explain the reason behind everything. So it wasn't just you can't do this 
because I said so, or because we're Indian and we don't do that. But it was sort of the rationality or the history or whatever it was behind a tradition or an action rather than for sort of forcing compliance. And I think that made me, that also made me uh, not a rebellious teenager either, because I think if parents put up a lot of really strict rules and don't really explain a lot of what their rationality is or what they're trying to do with those rules, then kids often will push back because it just seems arbitrary or random. Uh, and of course, there's always some resistance in doing what we're told. So I think uh, I think that really helped in me not feeling this need to fully like break free and go crazy when I went to college because I actually had a decent amount of freedom sort of growing up. Um, and I would say that also like families balance each other out, you know, or hopefully that's the goal. Like not not every, you know, parents even in a in a family unit where there are two parents may parent very differently from each other. Um, you know, and I definitely um, had that with my two parents. And luckily my my mom was sort of always on my side, like if we would, I remember for some middle school dance, you know, I wanted to wear high heels and my dad was sort of more traditional, you know, South Asian dad was like, no, 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 you're way too young. You know, you're 12 or 13. You can't wear high heels. And my mom sort of, I walked out of the house with uh, with like flip flops on. And then my mom had put my nice shoes in her purse and snuck it out for me. And I changed in the car. So, you know, sometimes it's just um, having at least one person, whether it's a parent or an aunt or a cousin who sort of fully gets you and fully um, is is seeing that child in themselves. And I guess also maybe for the parents, particularly parents who have, you know, have an immigrant background of recognizing that your kids are not gonna grow up the same way that you did. You know, this is a completely different environment. Kids are being exposed to way much more nowadays, also with technology. Um, and so I think trying to relinquish the idea that you want to raise your kids the same way that you were raised, you know, and recognizing that this is totally uncharted territory, you know, for you and your family. And to maybe instead of taking advice from your older generation, get advice from other people who are in current uh, roles that you are in, because I do think that um, sometimes those conflicts happen more when parents are really clinging on to the way that they were raised back in India, you know, 40 years ago, and that's no longer the world that sort of exists now. So I think letting go of those expectations, um, letting go of the idea that your kids are are fully representing you as a person, you know, your kids should not be a reflection on you of whether you are a good person or a good parent or not, you know, every kid has their own journey. Um, and to not sort of, uh, live vicariously through them either, you know, every you have your life, your kids have their own life, you know, you've been fortunate enough to have those two paths intersect for X amount of time. Um, but that ultimately, I think every soul sort of has their own journey uh, while they're here on Earth. So as I said, full respect to all parents out there, especially those who are navigating these tricky dynamics of, um, you know, second, first and second generation immigrants. Um, but I think hopefully that some of that advice of just looking at looking at the big picture, looking at time, understanding the importance of explaining things that are important to you um, and and allowing for op sort of open communication, I would say, uh, were some of the keys that at least let our family sort of navigate that. 
um, pretty well. And sometimes it can be really fun too. Like we would have, you know, we, we had Christmas trees, but we had, we decorated our Christmas trees with peacocks and we had Thanksgiving, but we would bring doll to a Thanksgiving dinner. So it can be really fun the way that you can sort of learn how to blend different sides of your families and experiences. So I hope some of that is helpful to, uh, to any of you out there who are facing similar situations. Absolutely, Shivani. I'm very, very thankful to you for taking time out um, and be with me here um, giving this interview and sharing your insights with our teens and parents. Uh, I am a parent myself. I do have a teen, 15-year-old and 20-year-old. I certainly enjoyed talking to you and I learned um, a lot in this episode. Again, thank you so much for taking time out. Um, we are very thankful to you. You are very inspiring and I wish you all the best for your journey. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You are listening to Mindful, Beautiful and Thriving, a podcast series by Tharaka Foundation. As part of our youth series, we will be releasing new episodes every Friday, so make sure to continue to check those out. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and thank you so much for listening.